We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. If you would, turn with me in your listening sheet to our text for the day. It's going to be Luke 24, 19 through 27, and we're going to read that aloud together. So if you would, let's stand and we'll read. This then is the text for today. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, there are times that the refs get it right. Now, I'm not talking about the Baylor women, but there are times when the refs get it right. We've all experienced it. It's one of those moments when we're watching the Spurs and the refs call a foul on DeMar. And at first glance, you yell something absurd about the refs being blind. But then, upon further review, you realize that the refs might have been right. And so how do you respond in that moment when you realize the refs might have been right? Because it's funny how people respond, because some just still refuse to see it. We allow our fandom to blind us to reality. So there's two people in today's text who are fooled by their first glance like a Spurs fanatic refusing to acknowledge a foul, these two accuse Jesus Christ of being ignorant. In fact, if you look down at verse 18, chapter 24, Luke 24, verse 18, see one of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which have happened in these days? You see, these two that are walking along on the road to Emmaus, they have their first glance at the risen Christ and their initial response to him is to ask him if he's the most ignorant man in all of Jerusalem. And even at first glance, how could you respond to Jesus Christ like this? And then they go on to explain to Jesus how rough their weekend was. 
But they say, we went through all of this, and we saw what happened, and we had to deal with all of these things. This is what you see in verses 19 through 21. How in the sight of God and everybody, the chief priests, the rulers, delivered him to sentence of death and crucified him. And they were, they were talking about what they had experienced. And you see, their, their first response to the risen Christ was that they had had a hard weekend because they thought Jesus Christ should have done something else other than be crucified. And that's how they approach him. And you know, this is why we have to be so careful with our first glances. You see, when our flesh gets a hold of our first glances, the, the rational looks irrational. The spiritual looks impractical. And, and you see, as the resurrected Jesus Christ is standing in their midst, they couldn't grasp him at their first glance. But upon further review, the Savior had risen. And so let me ask you, how do you think Jesus should respond to them? How should Jesus have responded in this situation? Because these two that are on their way to Emmaus are not only calling him the most clueless man in Jerusalem, but they also suggest he should have been doing something else this weekend. And how should Jesus respond to them? Because, you know, I, I think there are some people who expect Jesus to just walk along and kind of give them a noogie and say, oh, guys, it's me. And, and just say, oh, you, you, did, you didn't get it, but let's go. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. In fact, Jesus lays into them. If you look with me at verse 25, this, this could not be more stern. So don't, don't mishear this. Don't misread this. Jesus speaks up, and he says, Foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So don't miss this. This is about as stern of a rebuke as Jesus could have given these men. This is the discipline of God incarnate. Jesus not only calls them foolish and slow, but then proceeds to condemn their lack of biblical knowledge. And we need to recognize this. Jesus doesn't come out of the grave coddling his followers. He came out of the grave demanding they know the Scriptures inside and out. He's saying, what are you doing? Don't you get this? Didn't you hear me? Haven't you read this? The truth of God is before you. See, on some level, these guys had fallen into the same trap that we all do. Because we have a bad habit of embracing half the Scriptures. And what we do is, is we embrace half of them, and then we claim we love all of it, where we take what we want, and then we reject the rest of it. These two love the idea of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming into all of his glory. They, they love the idea of this glorious Christ returning for Israel, and they can imagine all kinds of benefits for themselves when that takes place. Do you see what they're imagining and what they're thinking is, what could Jesus do for me when he returns in all of his glory? And they internalize every word of Christ's grand victory over evil in this world. And then they just skimmed over every passage that talked about the pain and suffering Jesus must endure. You see, they threw those suffering passages out so that they could bask in his glory. We get down to, to verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? And the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory, to suffer and then enter the glory. And then Jesus begins with Moses and the prophets and he explained these things to them concerning himself and the scriptures. 
See, Jesus, he's, he's continuing the rebuke here and tells them he's been telling them about the crucifixion all throughout his ministry. Multiple times in the book of Luke, he has told them, this is what is going to happen. I am going to suffer, and we will have to go through an ordeal together, and this is going to happen in due time. And they refuse to listen. And, and not only that, all of the Old Testament points to the Christ, and not only to the Christ, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ as one who will suffer into his glory. Not that he will come in a great and glorious way, but he's going to come in suffering and be glorified in his suffering at the crucifixion and resurrection. And, and this is where he gets him. He says, don't you remember? Don't you know this inside and out? In fact, he said, before I taught you in Psalm 118. He says, Psalm 118, 22, I already taught you this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He says, did you hear it? Jesus Christ will be rejected by man. Jesus Christ will be rejected by his own. And that which is rejected by the world will become the foundation of everything that is good and that is holy. He must be rejected first. He said, I've taught you this. You've read this in Psalm. He said, you read this in Isaiah 53 too. We've talked about this before. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. Jesus says, remember, Jesus, or he as it's here, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. You see, upon further review, there is no excuse. And Jesus said that there is no excuse for you to be walking on the road to Emmaus and be clueless about what Jesus has done for you. And he's saying the same thing to us. There is no excuse that is before you because Jesus Christ has made it clear and plain. You see, the, the truth for them is the truth for us, and God has laid it here before us in the Word. And when we claim half the Scriptures, Jesus will rebuke you. You see what's happening here? Jesus is just steps out of the grave and he lays down the law. And we don't speak anything less today. You know, we, we have the same bad habits of, of loving half the scriptures. You see, when you, when you work down through this, you, you can't have love without judgment. That's half the scriptures. You, you can't have forgiveness without repentance. That's half the scriptures. You can't have heaven without hell. You can't have favor without obedience. You can't have then without if. You, you can't have joy without suffering. You can't have faith without action. But we take it upon ourselves to just take the, the half that we like and run with it. That you can't follow Jesus Christ with half the word. It doesn't work that way. He suffers into his glory, and we suffer with him at the crucifixion. You know, one of the things that people assume is they're just going to see Jesus and be best friends. But you're not going to be if you only claim half the word. Not if you only claim love without judgment. Not if you only claim forgiveness without repentance. It takes all of it. It takes a Messiah who suffers into his glory. Now, I know this can sound a bit harsh. Harsh, excuse me. But, but don't be discouraged here. What we recognize in, in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is, is clear that, that Jesus loves, and he loves his children, he loves his followers, and those whom he loves, he disciplines. 
And in fact, he rebukes those whom he receives. And, and what we see, what's happening in this text, Jesus doesn't just derail them. Now, he does. Jesus derails them. But after he derails them, it's in his love and his compassion and his grace. He picks them up and he puts them back on the right track. You see, that's what Jesus does for us. He, he takes us off our own selfish ambition and out of our own temptation and off of that track, and he picks us up and he puts us on the right way. And he's going to rebuke us and he's going to move us. And he's going he's to take us and he's going to make things right. And this is what we understand about Jesus. The discipline may be swift, but Jesus is for you and he's with you. The rebuke leads to revelation. And this is where we have this, this opening in a relationship with God when we receive him. You see, after Jesus calls them slowly foolish, he then, as the scripture says, he says it goes back to the beginning. And he explains it all again to them. So that maybe this time they would get it. And when you meet Jesus in the scriptures, it is life-changing. You know, they describe it here in the text as if their hearts were glowing hot like raw metal in a blacksmith's hand. They were being forged by the wisdom of the Christ before they even realized the impact of that wisdom. You see, upon further review, their first glance had been completely mistaken. And they had no clue what was going on. They had no clue what Jesus was doing. And Jesus Christ came and intervened with the truth. And that's what, that's what he's doing in our lives. And, and that's the great hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is coming and intervening with the truth of God and the hope of heaven. He's before us as a crucified and resurrected Lord saying, I am with you. And if you want to know the truth, if you want to see the reality of our present situation, then come to Jesus Christ. Because he's the only source of truth that we have. And what you see, e even with these, that Jesus Christ is willing to walk with you into the truth. Walk arm in arm with you and say, let's walk into the reality of the kingdom of God. Because what we recognize on Easter Sunday is Jesus has already done above and beyond what we deserve. He's already gone to the highest call where he endured the cross for you. And if he would endure the cross for you, he would do anything for you. And, and he, he longs to walk into the truth with you, to, to bring the truth of God into the present situation that we're all living in. You see, what we recognize from time immemorial, Jesus has been a beacon of truth shining brightly into the darkness. And that, that light is shining just as brightly today as it ever has, but people rarely give him a second glance. Now, what's beautiful in, in this text, though, in Luke 24, is these two in the text, they start to get it. And they receive Jesus. And not just what he says, they receive what he says. But, but they receive him into their lives, and they invite him into their lives. They invite him to stay and share a meal with him. And that's when it clicks, when they begin to eat. So if you look down at 29 kind of through 30 there, they urge Jesus to stay. Stay with us. We're getting towards evening. This, the day's nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. And then verse 30, when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to, him, to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. See, when, when they had this meal with Jesus, when they broke bread with him, they fully recognized who he was. 
And, and upon further review, everything that they needed, Jesus had already provided. Jesus was providing everything that they, they had hoped for at the cross. So you see, as the bread is broken before them, they, they recognize that their daily bread had been provided for. Every physical need that they had was provided for in the Christ. Every spiritual need they, they had had been provided for by the cross at the crucifixion. He's saying everything is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything has been covered. And when they broke bread with him, their, their mind and their eyes and their heart just lit up and said, this is it this is him you see there's spiritual growth that that happens when we eat with jesus the, the supper it, it teaches us obedience the, the supper reveals the lordship of jesus christ and points us to the crucifixion and the elements it points us to the, the resurrection in the experience and, and what we recognize together that a meal with jesus christ is a glorious time in the life of a believer and it, it takes them back to that day where Jesus took care of every need that we have at the cross. So if you would, find your elements for the supper. And make sure as you, you open, you'll open the bread first. And so we, we've come to this moment of meeting Christ in the meal. And, and the Christ is, is with us. And the Christ is, is real and, and, and alive in the elements as we, we take these together. And, and one of the things that we recognize in the cross is that we are a sinful people in need of a Savior. In fact, it's important as we take of this and before we take of this that we ask the Lord to search our heart than to forgive us of sin, to heal us and make things right. So we're going to take a moment to do that together. So let's have a moment of silent prayer, of, of confession, and asking the Lord to search your heart, and then, then I'll close us. So, so let's pray before we take the meal. Lord, we know that we are more like these two on the walk to Emmaus than we'd like to admit. There were times this week we were foolish and slow. Times recently we, we needed your rebuke, Father. And Lord, we pray for every time that we have fallen short, every time that we have sinned, every time that we have failed, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and make us whole. Lord, as we look at Jesus Christ and his perfection, we, we see our own imperfections, our own faults. And Lord, we recognize we have a long way to go. But our prayer is that in these elements, as we take of the bread and as we drink of the cup, Lord, that we would recognize you and your healing forgiveness. And so, Lord, would you come and minister to us uh, through these elements as we share them together in obedience unto you, remembering what you did for us on the cross. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you haven't already, Make sure you open and take of the bread. 
We'll read out of 1 Corinthians, that account. So I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now turn to the other side of the elements and carefully open the cup. And we'll continue in the text. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. And after supper, this is, this is what he said. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Our Father, we recognize how generous you were and what you gave up on our behalf. And so, Lord, we thank you for the suffering that you endured so that we might be saved. We thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was spilled, that we might be redeemed and made whole again. Oh, Lord, we thank you, and we remember you. We are yours. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.